0: What a great-looking people that are here today. Just happy, honored to be here, looking forward to what's on my heart to share with you all today, and uh, I believe we're going to, you're all going to go out here a little bit different than you came in. How many want to do that? I asked the men a question. Why are we all here? Just, just, I just preached my last session with them. Why are we really here? Why are we here? Why are you here? How many want to know why you're here? How many don't care? Okay, how many really? you want to know why you're here? How many already know why you're here? Okay, tell me then, why are you here? Just to glorify God, God, that's good. But what else are we here for? To To gather, to share the good news. That's all good. Not going to, how many can agree with all that? But how many want to know why we're here? Go and tell others. Those are all great news, but how many want to know why we're here? If you go to a doctor appointment, okay, why are you going to a doctor? To assess something, to, to check out what's going on in your life. Right or wrong? I mean, you go in for your checkup or whatever it might be. But in John 15, 17, this is why we're all here, okay? He said, this is my commandment, love each other. The world hates you. Remember that it hated me first, and the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to me, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than its master. Come on, church. Since they persecuted me, naturally they'll persecute you, and if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, For they have rejected me. And then Jesus goes on and he states something totally amazing. He said, this is why you're here. I've appointed you that you would go forth and bring lasting fruit. That's why we're all here is to bring what? Come on. Lasting Lasting fruit. I just told the men, I says, not because of the weekend, not because you got rid of some of the uglies inside, not because any of that there, that's all byproducts of it. But we're here really to bring forth lasting fruit. And then I told him this here. I said, well, how are you going to bring forth lasting fruit? How many of you know that means there's uh, areas? I remember my house over in Southwood Lakes over here that we had, Kathy and I. And I don't, I'm not a horticulturalist. I don't like cutting grass or any of that kind of stuff, okay? But I remember Kathy said, you know, you need to go prune those things. She said, I said, what do you mean? Because I, I always had it done. And she said, you just got to cut them down. So I went out and I cut those things down and it looked like I cut them down too short. Anybody ever been there before? And without an exaggeration, a month later, I remember pulling in the driveway and looking, and it was like, my gosh, look at the life that's in. Look at this thing. They're huge. But how many know they couldn't grow until you cut off all the bad wood, all the dead stuff? Come on. They were, they were blocked. And so, so we shared about that with them in there. Then I shared another reason is, is that helps growth is they that plants it. In the house of the Lord shall still bring forth group, fruit in their older age. How many want to be planted? Yeah. So that means we're not just hit and miss. We don't just visit here once in a while and just get, it, we're, we're planted. There's the planting of the Lord that's going to bring forth good fruit. How many know if you put a plant in the ground, then you pull it up, check to see if anything's happening, and then put it back and then pull it up? How many know it's not going to work that way? So why? Because we stay planted in the house of the Lord. And then I had a whole teaching for that this morning. I had such a good time with those guys. Okay, are you all ready for the Word today? I feel so tired I can hallucinate. That's when I usually do my best. But Mike just said, i got to remind you guys, it's time to receive the offering today. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to give to the ministries of WCF, it would be greatly appreciative if you're making out checks. Kindly make them out to WCF, if you will. You can get by credit card, debit, any way you like. We so appreciate it and just want to say because of you, uh, there's, there's no lack in WCF. Amen. Can you say amen? amen? Because of you, our needs are met, our bills are paid. We're very, very thankful for God's grace. And, and I just want to just say, and Brenda's here can tell you, uh, we had the steadiest summer that we've ever had. It just stayed very, very steady all the way through. So many ministries say they're 40% down and 50% down. We just stayed steady all the way through because of the financial stewardship. And we're just so thankful. We need to give God thanks for you today that are all here today. Amen. how's my friend Don and Deb? You guys doing okay over here? You're getting pretty close to the front. Maybe you can sit in the front with me, okay? (laughs) Hallelujah. A new friend saw him over at Lowe's, and the rest is all history. Here we are today. Lowe's, now we're goes, Okay. So, Father, thank you for the opportunity to release seed, leaving our hand but not our life, but producing even generationally to bring honor to you and advance your eternal purposes. And, God, as we even sow the seed, open our understanding to the last days that we're living in today to know what we ought to do, to know where we should be positioned, to know who we should be speaking with, as it's on Pastor Kathy's heart so strong in the area of evangelism. Help us, Lord God, to touch lives for eternity today to bring honor to you in Christ's name. And you can receive. Amen. Okay, I am pumped. This is my book that we've been teaching out of for the last uh, five weeks or so, Kathy and I. And we've been teaching Well, we had Ted. How many enjoyed Pastor Ted? How many didn't enjoy Ted? Don't raise your hand. Okay. We love Ted. We had a few days with him and Bishop Tony. And people have been asking me, is uh, Tony coming back? Yes, he's going to be in with us in May of next year. Bishop Tony Miller is going to be back with us, so we're very excited about that. He's been a great friend of this here house and uh, just doing incredible works and in, in, uh, influencing uh, governments today. Um, just, he, he, he's just a statesman for the kingdom of God, and we're just so happy to be in relationship with him. And I uh, just want to state also, our network is just going uh, extraordinarily well. I've had the opportunity to connect with many various groups across Canada in the last month. It's been a very, very busy month. Okay, for the last 20-some days, I think I've spoken 30-some times. I was not able to get to Bulgaria in October. They wanted me to be there, so we were able to speak. And I did some taping with our Matthew Chalty over here the other day to the pastors and leaders, 300 pastors joining together now uh, for a concerted effort to see shift and change in Bulgaria. And so I had specific topics I was asked to speak on, so we were able to do that. So we did it all by video and sent it all over now to the pastor's conference coming up in October, so they'll have that. And so then the following year, we can be a part of that. So We're just very, very thankful. So keep us all in prayer. It's a great season that we're in, and we're trusting God for great things even this morning. Let's open our Bibles, if we will, to the book of Matthew chapter 15. And uh, how many know over this uh, season we've also taught about the four ingredients of faith? And we, by the grace of God, believe that we communicated the message to you uh, very well. and and trusting that it's bringing forth good fruit inside of your life, okay? We're gonna go to Matthew 15, 21 in just a moment. And we recognize that the four ingredients of faith, number one is the, the aspect of acquaintance with God, getting to know God. And then after we get to know God, how many know we can actually put our trust in God? so many people are trying to trust God but they really don't know God and so each revelation of God, 2,602 names are the revelation of God to you and I today in the scriptures and we need to get to know the character of God because as he is so are we in this present world and we also recognize something about until you know who your heavenly father is and know what your heavenly father has and know what your heavenly father can do, you will never understand who you are, what you have and what you can do and until that revelation comes that's the acquaintance with God we know him as the bread of life we know him as the light of the world we know them as the door to the sheepfold we know him as the good shepherd we know him as the way the truth and the life the resurrection in the life we know him as the true vine and we know that he is the great I am revealed in the flesh when Jesus manifested himself 2,000 years ago as the baby in in uh in Bethlehem But we know that he's not coming back as a baby. He's not coming back as the Lamb of God. He's coming back as the lion, full grown of the tribe of Judah. Amen. So here we go. And so we want to talk this morning about great faith. How many want to have great faith with God? The word great faith means mega faith. It means enormous faith. One of the translations that I studied actually calls it Colossal faith. So we found out there that Abraham, the Bible says, was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Glory speaks about he was a very grateful, a very thankful individual out there. We saw that the disciples were rebuked several times for having what the Bible says, little faith, or we could call it puny faith, okay? And so we can see this aspect of faith is very important. What you need to recognize is that you already have faith. It's already been put inside of you from the new creation. The Bible speaks about that one of the fruits of the Spirit is faith, and it's already inside you. So to say that you don't have any faith, it's just not so. You have it, but just like uh, fruit has to be developed, fruit has to be ripened so you can eat and partake of it, so it is in our life, so it is with us with the area of faith. And the Bible says that faith cometh by what? Hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Or we can say, as Ken Buder, my friend, said, faith is awakened by hearing And hearing by the word of God. So it's inside you, but if it's just dormant or it's sleeping, when you hear God's word, it awakens inside you to the destiny and the connection point that God has in your life. So here's a woman over here, a Gentile woman. I'm gonna start this in verse 21. It says, Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And a Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. For my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. So we saw the first test of faith that this woman went through before she had great faith was the test of adversity. We already went through it. I'm not going to review it because then I can go right back into th- and give a whole lesson on that. But then 23 says, But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. We saw that that was the second test of faith. Number one is the test of trouble, the test of adversity, the test of overwhelming circumstances. the. Test number two over there is the, what we call the silent treatment. We also learned about unanswered prayer, seemingly unanswered prayer. And we learned about divine delays. We learned about the seasons of God in the timings of God. How many know for every work under heaven, there is a time and there is a season for all things. We can't force and make the hand of God move the way that we want it. But God says over there, but remember this one thing, that a day to the Lord is as a thousand years. So how many know The heaven's timing is not always our timing? I can't tell you how many Christians have aborted their faith by saying, God, you got to do this by now, and if you don't do this by now, I'm not going to honor you. Well, you know what? God's not moved by what you tell him to do. How many know he's God? I'll say it again. God's not moved by what you tell him. How many know he's God? Okay, now you can put your faith out there, and I believe this, but until you understand the revelation of the timing and the seasons of God. I remember an area inside of my life that, um, uh, you know, I was being pushed out, and it wasn't by God, it was by man to take over a national network, to start, my, to start a national network across the land of ministers. And I remember I just, I, I just felt totally that this was not God, this was not the season for my life, this is not the timing of God. I felt myself, after even been many years in ministry, to take that leadership role, I was not mature enough to handle it. Okay, and if I would have stepped out into that there, I know what the fruit would have been. And God used an authority figure in my life to block it okay and i am so thankful that he did come on now and others misunderstood him others judged him falsely others spoke against that authority figure that was inside of my life but that man protected me because he cared for me and before the situation ever came that man was there so so thank god for divine delays inside of our lives how many know that if we pushed ahead in some of the things that we wanted to do and have it our way how many know we could be in deep trouble with god so I, I, I've learned this here, and I'll just sum up everything about the second test is I would rather be one step behind God than one step ahead of God. Because if I'm one step ahead of God, how many know I'm out there all on my own? There's nothing to protect. But how many know if I'm behind him, at least he can prod me to come up. Okay, so that's what I've learned over there. So that was the second test. We went into great details. And then his disciples urged her, him, to send her away, tell her to go away. They said she is bothering us with all her begging. Okay, so we recognize the, in, uh, the impact now. This woman has an overwhelming circumstance inside of her life. She's in great pain in her life. The family is affected greatly. The other siblings are affected greatly. Her husband, I'm sure, is affected greatly. A- a- and here are the disciples. They come because they hear that Jesus can help her. And they say, send her away. Just get rid of this here woman. We don't want to inconvenience ourselves. So we found out that the next test of faith, if you're going to have great faith, is not just seemingly divine deliverance lays an unanswered prayer, but the next one is insensitive brothers and sisters. And we covered that into great detail. We covered the characteristics of that, of insensitive individuals. And how many at times in your life you've been insensitive to someone? Come on. You just didn't understand what they were, and sometimes we can criticize, and sometimes we can speak against them. But how many know that, that listen very carefully, in spite of them, this woman continued on, and she had great faith? So she didn't allow that to stop her. She didn't allow that offense to stay inside of her. She dealt with it somehow, and the next test is where we're going to be all going to. So it says, then his disciples urged him to send her away, tell her to go away. They said, she's bothering us with all their begging. And then in verse 24, this is the one that I want to cover today. And it says, then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel seemingly we have heaven's rebuke. And he said, "That woman, this is outside of the mission. This is outside the spear that I have been sent into. My mission is not to the Gentiles. How many know that started on Pentecost? He said, my mission is for the, the lost sheep Of the house of Israel. That's where his assignment was. And you can even study this out in the New Testament in the book of Acts that we're talking about. How many know that you had the apostle to the Jews, Peter, but you also had the apostle to the Gentiles, Paul? So so they had specific areas, specific so so the next one is heaven's rebuke. But she came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord help me. And Jesus responded, It isn't right to take food. The King James says, children's bread. From the children and throw it to the dogs, the little puppies out there. So how many know according to the scriptures, deliverance is part of the children's bread? I'll say it again. Deliverance is part of the children's bread. And sometimes inside of our lives, and I shared this with the men on the weekend, we get cracks in our armor. We allow things to come in. How many know when we willfully sin and violate the word of God, the laws of God, how many know we can open the door to the enemy? But we also recognized out there that the enemy also sets subtle traps for us. If he can get us bitter or get us unforgiving, how many know that that can block our prayers also? Okay, and then there's another thing that we call called generational curses that can be passed down. How many know that there's medical men and women that are inside this room right now that when you go to visit them, you go to see them, they're going to diagnose you and they'll oftentimes ask you, was there uh, any diabetes in your father? Was there any cancer in your mind? Was there any? And why are they asking those their questions? Are they just trying to uh, j- just interrogate you? No, they're trying to find out to locate if there was anything that was passed down generationally. So in the same respect, why would we think any different when the Bible says visiting the iniquities of the fathers even back 10 generations, the illegitimate curse, okay, actually has a tenfold ha- has has a 10-generation effect in sexual addictions. And, and many of us in this here room have struggled in some of these areas because that was in the generations that had gone by. But aren't you glad that in Christ we can break all those here things? So these are all avenues, and these are all ways that the enemy wants to get inside of our lives. The Bible said, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So that whole self-dependence and independent spirit can actually open up the door to the kingdom of darkness also. So we see something about called the chastening of the Lord, or heaven's rebuke over there. But let's just go down one more verse over here, and and, and then we're going to start the message. Is that okay? Go to the next one. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even the dogs speaking of the little puppies, are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath the master's table. Now look at verse number 28. Dear woman, now this is Jesus. Jesus said to her, what did he say? Come on. Your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly ill. So how many know that's good news? So test number one, again, the test of trouble, the test of adversity, which always brings opportunity. Test number two, the silent treatment, the divine delays. Test number three, dispassionate brother. And test number four is that of the chastening of the Lord. The chastening of the Lord is a subject that we hear very little of today in the churches. It's a subject that is not talked about today yet it is very, very biblically sound. It is just as much the Bible said that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable. Profitable for what? For correction. Profitable for what else? Teaching or instruction. Why? That the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. So we want to talk a little bit about this chastening of the Lord. Chastening can come in many, many different forms. Uh, It can come from guilty feelings that we can have. I don't know about you, I don't know about you, but when people tell me today, you know, there shouldn't be any guilt, you shouldn't feel any guilt. How many have ever done something wrong? Just just raise your hand. And let me ask you a question. After you did something wrong and you knew it was wrong, let me just bring it into an example that maybe we can all understand. How many have ever said something to somebody and after you said it, you know that you didn't say it right, you know that you said it with the wrong tone. You know that there wasn't that loving feeling behind the words that you said, okay? And then the way you said it, it really hurt the person that you said it. Come on, raise your hand. Now let me ask you a question. What happened immediately after you did that? What did you just say? You felt guilt, why? you did wrong. So if you do wrong, you're supposed to feel guilty. How many know? Guess what? Yes. How many know your conscience? My mama used to say, son, let your conscience be your guide. She had another whole saying, keep your hands in your pockets, you know, like probably good advice. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So, so anyway, let your conscience, well, what is your conscience? Your conscience is the voice of your spirit. And if your spirit is alive unto God, how many know that voice will convict us? That voice will listen very carefully. We'll have a guilt feeling. Now, we don't have to stay in that guilt. But how many know it prods us to what we call the chastening of the Lord? So this is one of the ways that this can happen. Also, we can have the chastening can come with unpleasant circumstances. Now, where's that in the Bible? I'm so glad you asked. We can see Gideon. The Bible teaches that God was working with his men, God was working with his women, but it said they went into Midian and they got into strife. They were always arguing, they were always in contentions, and the result of it was, the result was that they went backwards and they were in extreme poverty. The result was their enemies had the upper hand inside of their life. And then the result was, when they did that, they came to a place because of the unpleasant circumstances, and they started crying out to God. So when they cried out to God, God sent them a prophet. And the prophet said to them, this is where you're at, this is how you got there, this is what you need to do, and this is going to be the result. So in other words, God's saying, okay, here's the solution. This is how you got there. It wasn't my choice. It wasn't my doing. It was your choice. Now, I'm going to really emphasize this here point to you because a lot of people, you know, they have this concept that God is this mean God, that God is this nasty God, that God is this unfair God. How many know God's none of those things? How many know he's a just God, he's a fair God, and he's a good God to his people? But unpleasant circumstances are oftentimes the result of the choices that we've made that bring us to the place of the correction of God. It also speaks about a loss of peace, okay? I don't know about you, but anybody ever lose sleep because of a loss of peace in a relationship before? Anybody ever just, just you know, you had a fight, let's just bring it right the way it was? Or you're, maybe you're spiritual and you call it intense fellowship? Okay, and you lost your peace, Okay, how many know loss of peace, listen very carefully, is a symptom that we need the correction of the Lord inside of an area of our life, an attitude inside of our life, an action inside of our life. And then another one is relationship fractures, negative circumstances. Poverty can be resolved as I shared in Gideon's day. Frustration is a result, as in Gideon's day. Uh, heaviness. Uh, how many know when God's hand is upon us, David said, his hand was upon me. And listen, it wasn't the spirit of heaviness. It was the hand of God that was upon him that he knew that God was working with him and all he needed to do was to release that thing. That went over so well also over there. God's not the one that depresses individuals. God's the one that that puts them up. But how many know when he zeroes in on an area and we make the wrong choices, how many know the chastening of the Lord's going to come? Well, where's all this in the Bible? Well, let's go to the book of Hebrews and start this here message. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1. I remember uh, inside of my life, okay, receiving the correction of the Lord. It was in an area of an attitude. And and how many know our attitudes can make us, our attitudes can break us? And and sometimes we can say the right thing to somebody, but if we have a stinking attitude that's behind it, and I remember the first chastening of the Lord that I received was from the girl that actually led me to Christ. Her name was Gracie Guzmano. And, and Gracie was a prayer warrior. Gracie is still living for God. She lives in Sheboygan, Michigan now. She's uh, just been a, a great friend. She's a relative of mine. And so I just appreciate the relationship. But I remember getting into the word of God. And, and, and I remember being, uh, using the word of God in my early days when I first got born again, sharp. Okay? And, and, and I said some, uh, some things to some people that, man, I wish I didn't say. I mean, you talk about dispassionate brother, you talk about unmerciful brother, you talk about all those things, I knew what that was. And I remember this guy in, in, in a religion that he was involved in, and, and he was blaming God that God took his child, okay? And, and, and the way that I came across, I mean, here's a guy that's grieving, here's a guy that's in pain, and, and, and what I said to him was very harsh, what I said, and the guy just broke in tears and, 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 and just the opposite of how God would have dealt with the situation, okay? And, and so I remember Gracie come to me afterwards and, and, and she said, Rick, she says, you know, she says, your attitude, she says, you got the word down right, but your attitude in presenting it isn't good. And I said, well, all you need is the word, girl. Don't you understand? God doesn't say anything in the word about attitudes. It's about this, and I didn't know the word. Come on. And it was the first correction inside of my life. You know what? I am so thankful the grace that came and shared that with me. I received it, and I started making the adjustments way back then. How many know you deal with one attitude, and then guess what? God brings another attitude. And then after you get that one, you think you're doing really good. He brings you another one. Well, have you ever wondered what that is? It's all this aspect. So let's go on to Hebrews 12, and let's just find out what the Scripture says, and then we'll go to many, many other verses, okay? It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses. Now, the surrounding by such a huge crowd of witnesses is chapter 11, and it speaks about all the heroes of faith. Rahab was in there. How many know Rahab worked for the escort services of the day? And God took her out of the hall of shame and brought him into the hall of fame. Come on. How many know Noah, it speaks about his exploit, about how he was being warned of God, prepared and built an ark, and then the faith of Abraham, the faith of Sarah, and it goes on all the way through the heroes. So it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great, a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us, what are we supposed to do? Come on, lay aside, what does it say over here? Let us strip off what? Every weight that slows us down. How many know God's not going to do that for us? Especially the sin that easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race that God he has set before us, so how many know that's personal responsibility on my part and personal responsibilities on your part if we 're going to have great faith? Go to verse number two: we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him, He endured the cross disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside god 's throne. Look at this Next one, so powerful. Verse number three. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. And then you won't become weary and give up. In other words, you can identify. He identifies with you. He went through this so you could have a grace that you could go through it today. Go to verse number four. It tells us right here, after all, it says you have not yet given your life and your struggle against what? Sin. Verse number five. This is the correction. And have you forgotten? What does he call it here? Come on. The in. Encouraging words. He said, have you forgotten? So apparently they already heard this message that God spoke to you as his children. And this is an encouraging message. He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. So let me just state something right now. How many know the chastening of the Lord, the correction of the Lord is an encouragement to you and I today? That went over so well. Thank you for your amens, okay? Uh, you know, the Bible says in Psalm 94, 11, blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, O Lord, and teachest him out of the law. The New Living says joyful are those, Lord, you discipline, Lord, those you teach with your instruction. Okay, how many want to be blessed? Well, the Bible says blessed are thou, the man whom thou chastenest. Boy, that really goes over so well. Everybody is so awake today, all right? I am so honored that you are all here. But let's go to the next verse down here. And so have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. Okay, so apparently, number one, this is an encouraging thing. This is going to fortify you. This is going to strengthen you. This is going to help you. And apparently, not only is it going to help you, it's going to what? You're going to be tempted to just to give up at this point. For the Bible says, for the Lord disciplines those he, come on, he loves and he punishes, come on, each one What? He accepts as a child. Now this is where some religious teachers have gone on and they say, well, God just put sickness on people to teach them. I I, I don't believe that. I don't see that in the Bible, okay? Now this is what I do see in the Bible and I want you to get a hold of this because this is so important. And Jeremiah 2, put it up if you can and you can put it in the New Living or you can put it in the New King James. I have both of them, okay? This is huge, huge to you. And I got this 40-some years ago because I heard teaching 40-some years ago that God puts sickness on people, God causes all these evil things to happen to you and all this here. And I'm saying like, well, I really don't believe that's the God that I know that I've read about in the Bible. Okay, so anyway, listen to what it says in Jeremiah 2. He says, verse 19 in the New King James, your own wickedness, the new living says, your own wickedness will bring its own punishment. Yep. The uh, New King James says your own wickedness, well, they got them both up. This is awesome. Okay, everybody read. Let's go. Your own wickedness will what? Correct you. So, so come on now. Who's the one bringing this on? It's not God. Your own wickedness, what's it going to do? It's going to correct you. And you're What? backsliding will rebuke you. Know therefore and see that it is an evil and bitter thing that you have what? Come on. Forsaken. You have forsaken the Lord your God and the fear of me is not I mean, That's the reverence, the respect, the honor due to his name that we just want to connect with every good thing, says the Lord God of hosts. Now in the new living, listen to it this way, your wickedness will bring its own punishment. Your turning from me will shame you. You will see what an evil, bitter Thing it is to abandon the Lord your God and not to fear him. I, the Lord, the God of heaven's armies, have spoken. So, guess what? Did you notice the word that I emphasize? You, your. How many know? Listen very carefully. That's the chastening of the Lord. God's not the one inflicting, we're the ones that bring upon this stuff ourselves. And until we have an understanding of this here, we're just going to keep going around in circles. So so I, I've always stated this here. You know, people said, well, God's just in control of everything that happens and everything that goes on. Well, I always state this here too. If he is, he's not doing a very good job. But he is in control of the hearts and the lives of those that are yield to him to establish his kingdom and his purposes and his word enacted in the earth. Why does it say when the righteous are in rule? When the righteous are in government? What does that mean? They have values. They have morals. They have uprightness. Come on. When they're in rule, the people rejoice. So that's God's will that the righteous would be there. But how many know when it goes the other way, that was never God's plan. That was never God's intent. So if God was in control, why didn't he just get them in there? Start asking yourself the same questions, but. I will state this here, when the people of God pray led by the Spirit of God, then the reign, then the will, then the purpose of God is all going to come. Does God know all things? Yes, he does know all things. But here's what the Bible says, I sought for a man that would stand in the gap to make a hedge. Why? So that I would not destroy the nation. So God says, I need a man to accomplish my purpose. I need a woman of God to establish my purpose. I need somebody to stand in the heads to make up the wall, to make the gap go. Let's go back to Hebrews, if we will. Is anybody getting anything out of this? People say if all the punishment for our sin was put on Christ at the cross, and the wrath of God was poured out on him so that those who are in Christ, there's no more wrath remains. How many know when we give our lives to Christ, our substitute for our sin, our forgiveness from God, God remembers it no more. However, when you and I make wrong choices, not in the past, because it's already dealt with, but wrong choices in the present, there's still consequences to the wrong choices in the present that is going to affect our future. Anybody teaches different than that doesn't understand this Bible. Any teaching, listen, if a man murders another man and repents, how many know there's not a question, listen carefully, there's not a question that God forgives that man when they repent, right or wrong? But how many know there's still consequences for the behavior that that man has. Now you say, well, I'm not a murderer, I'm not any of those things. Well, let me just go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm gonna tie this in and, and at the cost of people get upset with me, come on. But the reality is, who's the murderer? Who's the murderer? It says in 1 John 3 that be not like a murderer like Cain was with his brother Abel. But you know what the Bible says? You hate your brother. You hate your sister. What does it mean? You love them less. It means you play, you play the game. You play the gig where you're a respecter person. You treat this one good because, because they got riches. You treat this one good because they got money. But you treat the one that's poor a little bit different. And it says, have you not become partiality? And it says, have you not become judges of the law of God? and you look down on somebody because maybe they don't have the revelation or maybe they don't have the understanding that maybe you have on certain subjects, and we look down, and we have a holier-than-thou attitude inside of our lives. Come on how many know God is not in the looking down? How many know God is in the lifting up? And he uses men and women just like you and I to lift people up to encourage them. It says in light of the last days, how many know we're to encourage one another, but we're also to provoke one another, to incite one another to love and to good works. What does that mean? If you see somebody bitter, you see somebody unforgiving, you see somebody hurt, it's our responsibility to go to them, to prod them, to release that rudge, to release that bitterness, to release that hatred. Come on now. But also, you see somebody hurt. The Bible says we're to go alongside and weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice today. And so the scripture says, who is the murderer? It's he that hates his brother. And I'm going to tell you something. I see sometimes attitudes that we have towards people that may not be baptized with the Holy Spirit, are people that might not believe the same way that we believe. And 1 Corinthians addresses that issue. And it's an epistle. And he says, looking in 27, 1 Corinthians 11. So anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup, which we're going to do in about 10 minutes, it says, of the Lord, anybody that eats this bread and drinks this cup, it says, unworthily, is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. What does that mean over there? Well, look what he says. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. What does that mean to examine? You go into the, the clinic. You go into the doctor's office. And, and, and they take you, you know, your blood pressure. They take your heart. They take your be and, and what is it? They're doing an examination. They're checking you out to see if everything is working in your body. Well, how many know there's a spiritual checkup we can do today? And one of the spiritual checkups is if you don't have any joy inside of your life if you don't have any passion inside of your life for God, if you don't have any love inside of God, and and, and you just got this attitude that, you know, you're better than everyone else, how many know it's time for the chastening of the Lord to come into your life? So he says over there, listen what he says. For if you eat this bread or drink this cup, here it is, without honoring the body of Christ. Everybody look at that one next to you and say, honoring. How do you honor that one right there? Are we honoring his body? Are we praying for the persecuted church in 68 nations around the world that is losing their life? That's honoring his church. Are we helping the less fortunate that are here with inside of our community are within inside of our, our city today? What's our attitude in these areas? Are we stereotyping whole people groups? And saying, they're all this way. Are we doing that? Because if we are, how many know Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, my brethren. What does he say? You're doing it unto me. Are you all there right now? And so when I look at this here, and I start going, and I remember Kenneth Hagin. And he shared a story. And he shared a story about a man that had an incredible ministry. And his name was Jack Cole. You can type it in on jackcoe.com and you can see, and you can hear, you could see some of the crusades that this man had and the miraculous things that this guy had done. And the brethren came to him because he had an attitude of disdain towards other brothers that weren't operating just like him. And I got this, I wrote this right in my Nori. It said, Cole was told to judge himself. And it wasn't just once, it wasn't just twice, it came time after time because there was an attitude that was emanating from him. And it said over there, he was told about his love of the brethren. His love of the brethren. I remember going to a brother one time and say, buddy, what's happened isn't right. You need to deal with this. I'm gonna tell you something, there's times inside of our lives we cannot afford the luxury of being bitter towards one another. We can't be uh, bitter towards ex-spouses. We can't be bitter towards children. We can't be bitter towards churches. We can't be bitter towards employers. And maybe there was something happens. Maybe, maybe there was an injustice. I'm, I'm telling you, this is where you got to examine yourself today and, and, and look at the slate of your own heart. I wrote down when I was preparing this here. It says, when we become critical of one another, we fault fine. We accuse one another. We're negative towards. We start picking apart our spouses or our children or our bosses, our employers, our friends, our relatives, our neighbors. And a demeaning, critical spirit comes in. How many know it's time for the chastening of the Lord? And when we trust in our own abilities and strengths and our own wisdom and our own reasoning and our own way to figure things out rather than to ask God for his help because we're so self-dependent. And then when we don't pray or take time to listen to the Holy Spirit, but take time and make time for what's most important to us and God is not in the list, then it's time for the chastening of of the Lord. When we live with idols and see nothing wrong with them, but have our excuses and blame game on others, the devil made me do it. My wife because of her, my husband because of him, while the government because of them, and we start blaming everyone else, I'm gonna know it's time for the chastening of the Lord. When we don't feel we need church, we don't need a pastor, but we can have our little Bible study without any leader speaking into our life. It's time for the chastening of the Lord. When we recklessly spend our finances and care less about our stewardship and helping others out in tough situations and selfishness is ruling in our hearts and say, well, if they, didn't, if they didn't do what they were doing and didn't live the way that they did, then they wouldn't be in that there mess. Well, you know what? That might be true for some, but I found out the majority of people, it wasn't their choice that they got into this thing. It's because of the wrong choices that other people can make that affected their lives and affected their finances, but we judge and we stereotype. Come on, guys. And then when we're too busy in our, uh, with life and our priorities are out of order, we don't have time for our wives, we don't have time for our families, we don't have time for God, and we've been warned and warned, but we just like act like everything is fine. It's time for the chastening of the Lord. And we only hear about and learn about and feed about the goodness of God. Listen carefully to WCF. And totally ignore the passages about the severity of God. Vengeance of God. Justice of God. And fail to judge and examine ourselves. And take the warnings that Jesus said, be not deceived. And fear God by serving him with a reverential and a high respect. And cry out that this is legalism, the letter of the law. Then it's time for the chastening of the Lord. And we settle in for self-satisfied, comfortable, convenient, pew-sitting, non-challenging, non-convicting Christianity that tells us what our itching ears wants to hear. Then it's time for the chastening of the Lord. When we can break the laws of God, ignore his corrections, ignore his instructions, his warnings and admonishments, and feel comfortable in doing so, it's time for the chastening of the Lord. When our marriages are meant to be the closest thing to this side of heaven, but because we don't adjust the attitudes inside to the closest thing to this side of hell, it's time for the chastening of the Lord. My Bible teaches me the warning, pay no attention to neglect. My Bible teaches me to the believers a warning about a hardened heart. If you've seen the men that were on the weekend and the ones that opened up and shared about the hardness of heart and how it got in. And it was like the strategic plan of the enemy was there to take them out. The warning about Casting away our confidence in God. Not the most pleasant message on a Sunday morning. Not a message that I wanted to write in my first book. But when you look at it, and let me tell you the other side of what the scripture says over here. It says, Honor the Lord with your possession and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty. How many know that's good news? And your vats will overflow with new wine. And then, isn't it amazing? He says, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. I don't have time to develop the whole aspect because I want to go into communion. And I want to do something a little different in this service about examining our lives here before the Lord. But back to 1 Corinthians chapter. Uh, 11, one more time, and I want you to read this here. Because they didn't examine themselves. Because they hadn't. Because they didn't look over their own lives and their own attitudes and their own heart to what was going on. It says, anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Look at this next verse, guys. This is why, come on, everybody, come on. You should examine yourself before what eating the bread and drinking the cup and then look at the next one for if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself and then look at the result this is why come on many of you are come on weak and sick and some have even died in other words they died prematurely keep going But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this here way. Let's all stand together as we break bread. Very, very sobering message. Just listen to Job. But consider the joy, everybody say joy, of those corrected by God. Do not despise the discipline of the Almighty when you sin. For though he wounds, he also bandages. He strikes, but his hands heal. The book of Proverbs, all the way through, the purpose of Proverbs is to teach people wisdom and discipline and to help them understand wise sayings. Though these, Through these Proverbs, people will receive instruction and in discipline, good conduct, and doing what is right, just, and fair. Proverbs 10, people who accept, that means they receive, they consent to discipline, training, to act in accordance with rules, conduct, or behavior, that which is regulated are on the pathway to life. How many want to be on the pathway of life? Come on, and listen to this one. There's so many I can give you, but Proverbs 12:1. To learn, you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. The Bible says, when the righteous smite me, it's like ointment. It's it's like joy. Upon my head, I'll give you that one. If you love learning, you'll, you'll love the discipline that goes with it, how short-sighted it is to refuse correction. A wise child accepts a parent's discipline. A mocker refuses correction. If you ignore, refrain from noticing criticism, you'll end up in poverty and disgrace. You accept correction, you'll be honored. Only a fool, literally a stupid, dull, senseless okay, person despises a parent's discipline. Whoever learns from correction is wise. Whoever abandons the right path will be severely disciplined. Whoever hates correction will die. And then the last one, discipline your children and they'll give you peace of mind. (laughs) Glory to God. How many know it's not always easy? But how many know it's there for you and I? So let's, let's close with this here. I want everybody in this here room, even though we don't have I believe he wants us to be strong. That's what he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And he didn't put an age limit on that. Caleb, at 80 years of age, fulfilled the ministry. He said, man, all the younger guys ain't going to do it, but come on, I'll take that mountain. Uh, 80 years of age. he He was aggressive. He was full of energy. He was full of life. Come on. Let's be so let's pray as a congregation. Everybody, just just break out wherever you gotta go and just turn to your husbands and, and turn to your wives right now. And if there's any any correction that you need to go, you single people, join with one another. If you see somebody alone, just just go with them and just pray with them and just encourage them and don't talk down to them anyway and pray down, but just encourage them today just encourage them and say, you know what, God and, and you can even disclose. You can say, you know, God dealt with me. Thank you, Pastor Rick. God dealt with me in an adjustment today. There's an attitude in my heart that I need your forgiveness with today. I just need to make things right. So just go out in the aisles and feel free to just confess your faults it says one to another and then pray for one another that you may be healed. And you just watch what God does. And we start our days off this week. Start our days off not just at church and communion but examining ourselves daily. And then ask God to create a clean heart inside. Renew a right spirit inside. And you can be the lover that you once were. You can be the, you can be the encourager that you once were. You can be the one that builds, not tears down. The one that edifies, not criticizes. The one that strengthens people, doesn't diminish their life. Doesn't devalue one another. But let's live as a church and create a culture of honor with the less fortunate, with the broken, with the wounded, with those in grief and sorrow. Go ahead and pray. Just go ahead and pray and don't be afraid. And some of you have never done this your entire lives. But just begin to release God's love to that person. Begin to bless that person and speak words of life, words of encouragement, words of joy over that person's life. And you just watch and see what God does in the midst of it today. You watch and see how the morning's gonna start off tomorrow. You watch and see how you finish your race. You watch and see how the health will quickly speak, speak forth and come forth inside of your body. And how even financial breakthroughs will come inside of your life. You just watch and get ready for what God is gonna do inside of the depths and the core of your life today as you move on now to having great faith by humbling yourself one to another, which is the last test. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father.